Hey, you're gonna love this interview with JT Garwood, the co-founder and CEO of Button. They just raised $20 million from Tiger Global. He talks about how they did it, how they got their two-sided marketplace off the ground, and the benefits of hiring his dad to run operations. All that and more, stay with us. Every once in a while, I'll accomplish a few things and I'll, you know, I want to give myself a pat on the back, um, you know, get the baby to sleep down quickly or, you know, close a, a deal. Uh, I don't know if I can really recall an experience quite like what you've had here over the preceding summer. Uh, you, you graduated from your MBA program at Syracuse two months ago or so, and then one month later raised a $20 million Series A at a $110 million valuation for your business. I've done 500 plus of these interviews. I've never seen anything like that before. How is that possible? Oh, well, uh, it starts with being comfortable with not having a social life, uh, which, is, which has been 99% of it for the past two years. But yeah, it's been a very exciting time over the past couple of months. And honestly, just feel uh, really lucky the position that I found myself in and um, I have a passion. I've always had a passion for education. And so the MBA was always a no-brainer, something that I was going to do regardless of what was happening with work. And then Button's just been on an absolute tear. Um, and so the recent investment uh, is just more validation of our hypothesis and really excited for what's to come. Yeah, to quantify that tear, uh, you disclosed that uh, back in the preceding year around August, when you raised, let me get this number right, when you raised uh, $5 million at a $26.5 million valuation, that you were like around 300 customers, and that skyrocketed to 7,000. So can you help people understand specifically who the customers are on your platform and why they're coming to Button because I guess to some degree their needs weren't being met uh, previously. Yeah, absolutely. It really starts with understanding what Button is. And you know, I won't go too deep on the background, but what we're trying to become is the next generation healthcare distributor. So these are practices all across the country. You know, we're talking all different types of physicians from um, you know, a chiropractor to a um, a dentist to a physician office to, you know, pretty much everything under, under the sun in the non-hospital environment. And we identified a gap in the market, which was these folks don't have anywhere on the internet that they can trust to go shop for their medical supplies. And my background in marketplaces in medical distribution and technology really led us to this hypothesis that we thought that we could be a low cost savings provider for these top medical supplies for every single doctor across the country. And so what we're trying to build is that place on the internet that every doctor and their teams feel comfortable to shop at. And that just doesn't exist for them. And so with that in mind, you know, like you said, with the customer growth, why are they coming to us? Well, number one, they've never had um, the opportunity to cost compare on the internet, right? This transparency does not exist in healthcare distribution. So the first hypothesis was, what if we put transparent, transparent pricing for all of our products on the internet for these top medical supplies? They loved it, right? They love coming to our website, comparing with what they're currently paying with their distributor, whether that's a local or a national distributor. And then secondly, you know, finding those top brands that they were searching for and trusting that we can still deliver with the same delivery and you know, shipping expectations that they expect. So with those things in mind, we've just had this rocket ship growth because it was really fueled by 
folks weren't getting the supplies from their current incumbents because of the supply shortages driven by the pandemic. And so because there were so much shortages across the world, it had people doing exactly within their business what they've been doing in their personal life forever, right? With Amazon or every other online shopping, they just turned to the internet and they started looking for these supplies. And more and more these folks are finding button, whether it's searching for you know a particular medical supply skew that they're looking for that they can't find with their current distributor, or they just want to see what the other pricing is because you know maybe they're talking to a few different distributors and want to see which one they pick before uh, they move forward. So yeah, we've grown really fast uh, in a year. You know now it's August, so we're, we just crossed over nine thousand customers and uh, continuing that growth rate. And it's accelerating because as we offer more supplies, better supplies, better pricing, it just gets stronger and stronger, that value proposition for our customers. And can you kind of help just draw some contours around when you say medical supplies to folks that aren't in healthcare, that can be you know somewhat opaque. We're not talking necessarily about pharmaceuticals, and we're probably not talking about the highest end, most expensive medical devices that are almost being you know sold directly by that medical device company or through some sort of a distributor. We're talking about this like uh, I don't want to say lower end because that makes it seem like it's not important, but this this kind of messy middle of things that just you know you're accustomed to seeing when you walk into your doctor's office, your dermatologist's office, what have you, that need to be replenished and need to be a kind of you know thing that's there and accessible to the provider, right? Yeah, it's a combination of both. I I like to think about it as uh, you know disposables, right? So this could be a mask, uh, a pair of gloves, you know, band aids. Uh, gauze, everything that a typical doctor's office needs to have in stock to run their practice efficiently. And then that's expanded, though, to pretty much 2.5 million different medical supply SKUs that is inclusive of some pharmaceuticals, um, is inclusive of you know some of those med devices. And the reason why is because Button is pretty much the only provider out there that is built to serve that wide of a selection. Why is that? because we get to work with many manufacturers and many distributors to source from them directly, making it theoretically the place on the internet that these doctors can have the one-stop shop. So today we only have 2.5 million, which sounds like a, a big, the fact that I said only before that is ridiculous, <laughs> but we will scale to offer 100%, whether it's those medical devices, those x-ray machines, all the pharmaceuticals. But today it's really serving that core component of disposables plus everyday needs for each one of these offices. And the the benefit of that is if you if you've scaled from 300 to 7000 to now you're saying 9000 customers, the disposable item purchase is what creates re- repeat buyership which creates higher LTV. Yes, if I've bought, you know, these lower end products from you forever and you start offering the higher end, you can kind of see how that uh, annual value for, per per customer goes up. But really, like that's that's almost like the core premise of the biggest CPG companies is they sold us our toilet paper, our soap, these things that need replenished at a personal level with regularity. But you know, the, I, I'm guessing that the, those that had the previous relationships with, um, uh, with these healthcare providers were kind of like those legacy CPG players where they got fat and happy on these really big margins. And now you identify yourself as the disruptor ready to kind of mess things up. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it on the head. It's really coming back to you know what I put my thumb on is two core things that are fundamental for any marketplace. Number one is our cost structure, right? Is just lighter, easier, and less expensive to run Button than it is to run one of these classic distributors. 
Why is that? We don't carry the cost of the uh, logistics or we don't carry the cost of those distribution centers, of those warehouses, of all the inventory that goes onto that. That tangible cost savings, we turn into real cost savings for each one of our customers and how we price our products. And then secondly, you know, because we're an e-commerce platform, we just don't carry the same SG&A expense that every other business um, across the world in the space has, has a lot of. And so we're reducing that by 15 to 20% on average. And we take that 15 to 20 and we inject it directly in the price of our products. So um, this industry has been left behind really when it comes to this technology, technology wave and this you know, digital transformation that we've seen across every other industry. Um, and then the second part, besides that cost structure that makes us less expensive, is what's happening today are the sales reps that sell for these distributors, these practices and doctors, they actually have pricing control. So they're able to set the price of the product that it's sold to each one of the doctors. So this is why you hear about you know one dentist next to another dentist that are paying vastly different prices for the same set of products. It's because of their ability to negotiate and to do things. And I just find that fundamentally wrong. Um, and I think that this is why this industry in particular is begging for transparency, because if we just put the price of it out there and we don't incentivize our sales teams based on their ability to mark up the price, we pay them on how much of the supply can you sell. I fundamentally believe that that will result in a lower cost of healthcare for all of us as consumers, because the cost to run your practice lowers and lowers and lowers, AKA the cost of care lowers and lowers and lowers. And um, so with those two things, you know, we, we have a disruptive business model in that sense. I, you know, stray away from the term disruptor because we're trying to be the hybrid model of what's out there and then building technology to meet and exceed what's out there. And uh, it's really important for this community to understand, we know where you're coming from, right? Not that we're the big bad wolf tech coming in and trying to reset the way and, and you know, carve out this new future. It's just, hey, we can save you a lot of money and make your procurement really easy. Yeah, that's definitely a, a better uh, element to focus on. But there is a reason that, you know, the marketplace businesses have been some of the VC favorites and, um, you know, some of the fastest growers once they hit that scale, because you can kind of see the positive upswing of a platform like uh, Italic or Alibaba, where more customers beget more suppliers, beget more customers, beget more suppliers. Um, and I, I want to just harp on something that you said there, make sure that that's tangible for folks that might not necessarily be aware of it is you get to be this asset light middle layer because you're not necessarily, at least not yet, you know, storing or facilitating, or I'm sorry, storing any of these products, you're facilitating the manufacturer, existing distributor, getting it to that endpoint that needs it as efficiently as possible, which is, you know, Alibaba's kind of whole premise is you can go directly from that manufacturer and have them ship a big pallet of stuff to your house if you want. Exactly. You nailed it. And my the analogy I love to use for this is the two companies that people know the most about, which is Airbnb and Uber, right? And understanding their supply versus who they're up against. Like for Airbnb, they don't own the hotels, right? They don't own the places that folks are staying at. And that means that their business model can be fundamentally less expensive because you don't have to pay for a hotel. You don't have to pay for the lights. You don't have to pay for all of that expense that comes along with it. 
And same thing with Uber, right? They don't own the taxi cabs. But let me right? let me ask a question about that, though. So both of those platforms, or both of those marketplaces specifically, were partially responsible for bringing new inventory or new supply that was otherwise not in the marketplace. People weren't monetizing their car. They weren't monetizing that spare room. And now Airbnb has like, you know, long-term rentals that would otherwise would have been on VRBO or something. But specifically with my understanding of your business is Italic and Alibaba like went to these manufacturers, went to these entities that were already making stuff for people, but they were sending it off to some uh, wholesale, like wholesale manager, wholesale, wholesale buyer, and then they were parceling it out and taking their cut through. And effectively, the efficiency was gleaned from saying, hey, you know, we know who wants the stuff. Can you just send it right to them? And let's both benefit from that. Is, is that a fair characterization or is that not so much how it's working with you guys? Yeah, no, you, you again, hit it on the head. It's, it's the, you know, supply constraints come in all different sorts of shapes and forms. I think all marketplaces have that question and there's a little bit of different variety. I think Alibaba is a great example. We're definitely more like a, a, a drizzly, right? Alcohol delivery. We're utilizing existing, existing distribution to get to the end customer or an Instacart, right? Or a uh, Amazon, right? Uh, Pre-fulfillment centers. And so it's the same exact pitch that you're talking about. Um, it's just quantifying it for folks seems Airbnb and Uber, the ones that Everyone are knows, easy to right. latch on to. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, cool. I just want to make sure that I understood that nuance correctly. And I, I, cause I'm, I'm not an expert in like medical supplies by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm really curious about getting started in a space like that because you have, you, you said the marketplace and the kind of software background. And I understand that your co-founder did as well, but actually getting to the getting on the ground and learning the space, but also the hardest thing about these marketplaces is getting the first folks on the platform. Because you, know, you show up, you open up an Uber app and there's no cars, or you open up Airbnb and there's no houses, you're not gonna have a very good time. So talk to me about getting to the ground, learning the space, and actually getting that first, you know, we talked about 300, but even just dozen customers to actually use the platform. Yeah, so in the part of how I learned the space, it goes back to, so I, I had this awesome career at Microsoft. You know, I, I can never give enough kudos to that organization for teaching me so much um, about business and about technology. And I just had that itch to go do something. You know, nothing was going to really satisfy the craving that I had to keep climbing um, and to go faster and to build. And so around that time, I was approached by two of my friends who were building a blockchain marketplace. And that was really exciting to me. And we, we love the concept. And this was right around the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And just it, it all worked out of we were trying to pick which category we could apply this really awesome blockchain technology to serve people that have, you know, a transaction problem. Because the theory was that we were going to make a safer, more effective uh, B2B transaction over the Internet with blockchain. And so during that time, we started to read about what was going on with the medical supply shortages and how hospitals, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, were just getting ripped off. You know, we're talking huge amounts of fraud. We're talking multi-million dollar checks being cashed and inventory never getting delivered. Worldwide shortages for many of these things. And at that time, just to, just to further emphasize the point, we interviewed Ben Hunt, who was literally managing these direct orders of PPE from manufacturers, distributors all over the place and getting them to these rural hospitals in particular that just didn't, they were at the absolute end of the, the line and they just needed their, you know, 
their uh, healthcare workers to have masks and have enough of the PPE that they needed. So that it, we'll, we'll link that for folks, but that was hyper salient. It's almost like, feels like forever ago now, but you, you're, you're dead on that that was uh, grabbing all the headlines rightfully. Insanity. You know, there, there was no word for it. And that was the exact space that I found myself in learning, drinking from the fire hose, right? Trying to get resources from manufacturers directly, uh, particularly in China and Southeast Asia, over to the United States as fast as possible and making sure that their money went somewhere with our technology. And so during that process, I became an expert on healthcare distribution, right? I was sourcing internationally. I learned it from sourcing to hospital, which is much different how most people learn it. They usually start at the hospital procurement and then work their way backwards. But I had that unique perspective of, I've never been in this industry. I don't know what I don't know. And I was just so curious about why things were being done the way they were. Like, why were these intense contracts in place with the hospitals that didn't let them go to new distributors? Like, why was that? You know, what is a, a group purchasing organization? What is a GPO? How does that impact the customer? Um, you know, why are there different pricing tiers? And I would just challenge everything that I ran up against. But um, that business was specifically serving hospitals and rural hospitals and, you know, larger health system environments. And so that, you know, the big insight I had there was even though that financially, you know, the business was going really well, I would get into meetings with hospital CFOs and CEOs that we were trying to pitch to, to help them with their supplies. And they, you know, I said the word blockchain and you know, straight over their heads. They're like, can you get me supplies or can you not? And I said, yes, I can. And so I, I realized, you know, it wasn't necessarily the technology that they cared about. It was the, the value that we were bringing at the end of the day, which was secure transactions for, um, for these critical products. And so we ended up selling that business in January of last year. And I just, I wasn't ready to give up on healthcare distribution. I had seen things that I couldn't unsee. And I fundamentally believed that, like you said, the rural hospitals were at the back of the line. Imagine if you were a dentist, right? Imagine if you were a chiropractor, a dermatologist, right? A surgery center, all of these places that were at the back, back of the line, because they literally had to shut their doors during the pandemic. Right. These folks were even more left out and they weren't giving this, getting the service quality from their incumbent distributors that the hospitals were getting and that other folks were getting. And so that to me was another cord to go, some, we need to build something there. I'm not sure what it is, what it looks like, but it's there. So my co-founder, Jack and I, Jack's, you know, my best friend in the world. And, um, we've, you know, grew up together, same college, um, both went into technology after, um, after we graduated and then met up, uh, at the first company and then now here at button. And essentially we were sitting on a beach in San Diego and we look at each other and we're like, well, what do we do now? You know, we sold a company. What, what, should, what, what should we do? And he had that same sort of intuition about marketplaces and the marketplace model could fit here, but it needs to look different. And so we're big fans of marketplaces, students of marketplaces, like I mentioned, love B2B marketplaces, you know, fairs and all time favorite of ours. And we said a B2B marketplace model might work in the space. If we don't target hospitals, we target alternate site physicians. And so with that, just little insight, we launched button. And so this gets into the, you know, that's how I, I got familiar with the space, but that first 300 customers. So in that was probably February or March of 22 of 21. 
And I wish <laughs> I could give you a great explanation about how he had this very thoughtful strategy of indexing products and SEO and, you know, this great marketplace takeoff. But quite literally, we had Jack, myself, and uh, three others that just started to call local dentists and local doctors and said, do you need supplies? We have this great platform called Button. And they would, you know, hang up on us. They would say, eh, you know, we don't want to talk. But it was direct sales. You know, we were going door to door, essentially, and trying to get people to buy our products. The good news for us was that um, there was still a lot of supply chain tumultuous, you know, activity going on. And so there was a shortage still. And we had the product that was in shortage. So how people got familiar with Button was they would come to us and, you know, say, okay, yeah, I already have my distributor, but I'd love to purchase this, this, this from you. And that was like masks, gowns, gloves, COVID tests, you name it. And we would go, great. And they started to realize that our prices were 20 to 40% less expensive than what they were buying from their distributor before the pandemic. And so they said, how are we mid pandemic and you're saving me 20 to 40% right now? And so they became, like you said in the beginning, the, the lifetime value of these customers is huge because they start off with, wait, I can save this much on a couple products. What happens if I give you the opportunity to sell me all my products? And uh, so as Button has grown and you know we've grown our catalog access and supplier access, it's really taken that turn because they realize that they want to buy more from us. It's an easier experience. It's less expensive. All the amazing things that we get out of technology, they didn't have in the past. You know, They were using telephone calls and Excel sheets to place the orders for their most critical materials. Let me ask a question here, though, because you're talking about going back and cold calling, smiling and dialing direct sales to get it off the ground. And you referenced Airbnb. They went and they took photos for like the first you know, uh, apartments that were listed on there. So doing the unscalable, even if you're trying to run some sort of super scale startup, is always a part of the process. It sounds like you had this really, um, really good product market fit that not everyone has from the earliest days. It, sometimes it takes years to uncover, sometimes it's never found. That being said, how like roughly much direct sales did you guys have to do before it really started to pick momentum? Was it like, you know, one week or what, what, like, what are we talking about here? Probably 13 months. We were going after every, it, our market, the flywheel wasn't flying. You know, we, we had to get our name out there. We had no brand. We had had the incumbents in the space are steeped in their ways and just hard, hard to, to disrupt. And so we had to knock the doors down of every single doctor that we sold to for probably the first 13 or so months. I would say it's only the past three or four that our flywheel has started to really spin and we see the crazy, you know, e-commerce growth and we see the digital growth and, um, but that, that direct sales model still is a very important and, part and of I'm, I'm sure it's still a part of it because you're trying to now target the bigger healthcare providers. And it's kind of more of an enterprise sale to integrate with their existing process versus like, you know, some solo dentist that they can kind of make a, a more expedient shift in, in their behaviors if the, if the savings is there. Yeah, we're still super focused on uh, those single dentists and that's our primary customer set. And, you know, you'd be surprised. Outside of the hospital, there's still over $75 billion a year spent on medical supplies um, by those dentists and single family physicians and, you know, you name it, even like the veterinarians and derms and all those groups. 
And um, so, yeah, we've, we've stuck pretty hard on that category, but we are expanding into, you know, more of the multi-practice and you know, maybe it's a group of dermatologists or a group of surgery centers. And then rural hospitals is also uh, a primary Got focus for us. From the, uh, from the ground up. So let me ask a little bit more about that kind of focusing, niching down and expanding because I've watched some, some other times that you guys have talked about what you're doing and you'll say B2B marketplace. And I, all, I like empathize with when you're trying to raise money from a tiger from some of these players you really need to say like here's the big old vision like we're planting our feet and we're swinging not just for a home run but for a grand slam but at the same time there's a pragmatism and a focus to saying like here is the first niche or niches that we're hyper fixating on this using uber as an example it was black car for fancy people first before it was like uber x where you just jump in a car with four strangers and go around right so from that standpoint dentists i I saw one for dermatology like where is the initial focus and how does that how do you imagine that scaling out as time goes by sure yeah the um the initial focus was physicians and then dentists as well and the reason why was because these folks were still seeing people during the pandemic, right? Their doors weren't completely shut. And the other types of physicians, you know, like the chiropractors and the dermatologists, they had to adjust their business for longer because of staffing and supply shortages. And so they kept their doors closed a little bit longer and weren't as in high, high, high demand need for these supplies. And so we knew that we had product market fit with those two customer sets. And what we found though, was that they're all, they all have a similar flavor, right? They're all by, you know, it's like the 80, 20 principle at work. Um, there's these 20% of core products that 80% of all types of doctors buy. Those are the products we had. So we started with, okay, maybe we can expand a little bit out of just the dentist and the physicians. Maybe we can go target a surgery center, right? Or a uh, physician clinic or a veterinarian office, right? Or you name it. And so as that started to bubble, we realized that the product market fit could actually be much bigger. And so as we've scaled and as we've gotten, it's all for us dependent on supply access, right? We can't, if we don't have the product, we can't sell it. And so as we've scaled our supply as demand has you know, continued to grow, the product market fit has actually put tremendous pressure on our supply side because customers want to buy more from us. But sometimes we have to say, we don't have that manufacturer, right? Or we don't have that distributor. Um, and so, but customers are wanting that to happen. And so button scaling very fast on the supply side, but that's the constant constraint and, for and us. So can you just walk me through the system that you've had to build for when that customer comes to you with the novel supply request? I, I like, once again, I don't know the whole universe of medical supplies, but let's say it's like when people scrape the inside of their left nostril, like some, something like just so obscure that like 99% of people aren't experiencing this, but this doctor like is the nostril expert. Definitely. It's so today what exists is let's say you're searching for that device and you have a SKU number, you type it into the internet and what would pop up is most likely the manufacturer itself that makes that product. If you clicked there and you're looking for it, you need to buy it. You'd be directed through a sales channel that connects you with a regional distributor that sells that product. And then you'd have to wait and then you have to do a little bit more. Then have to vet you and say, well, you know, we have to run a credit check and we have to do, you know, a background check and we have to do all these things before you purchase. And it's just really tedious 
barriers to entry after barriers to entry. And so the first thing for us is just being the website that pops up first, right? When you search that product. So there's a huge indexing part of part of this equation. You know, we have 2.5 million products. We only have about, I think, 14,000 that are live on the platform wow. today. And so, yeah, it's because indexing, yeah. you know, it takes time. Skew upload is, you know, you want to make sure it's SEO scrub. The landing pages look great. It looks like we don't want to sketch anybody out. The picture's bad. You know, it's medical supplies. <laughs> we got to make sure that we're really on the nose for what that is. And so we're working through that and it's, it's accelerating each day. But if we're the place that is A, landed, it's just getting the products up there. That's our number one priority. The second priority is, let's say they do search a product, button pops up for maybe a similar product. They search our catalog, can't find it. Um, we have digitized a lot of the sales process as well. So chat immediately, you know, is a huge uh, portion of our business. And it's because, you know, a doctor has a question, hey, is this the same product as that? Or, you know, hey, what does this product do? Uh, we have subject matter expertise here at Button, the clinical knowledge to say, yes, this is what it is, this is what it does. Um, they go, great, I don't see it on your website. They go, yes, we have that in the catalog. You know, we'll send it to you, an invoice to you directly, or you know, we can pick up the phone and chat. Um, so chat's one. Second one is obviously we have our direct sales channels. Um, those product requests, we have a submission form live on the website. That's kind of basic, but more importantly, these doctors and buyers are really used to talking to someone before they make a purchase. And so we realize that, and that's why we've developed even more so our sales team to be able to meet those questions. Um, and so we have uh, a large digital sales team and telesales team in place to make sure that we're available when a product that they're searching for, they can't find on our website. So you've, you've referenced sales here. I want to I, I ask one of my last questions here, the way it's wrapping up. Um, on this show, we have talked with a lot of family businesses and the usual, you know, we, we've actually got one that, that just dropped, um, of a print business and it's a third generation print business. And, you know, he took it over from his dad, his dad took it over from grandpa. You've run a little bit of the opposite playbook. You hired your dad to, who's now COO at button, uh, just here in the last couple months, in addition to raising all this capital and graduating from, uh, from the MBA program. So tell me about that, uh, that move, that dynamic. That's not, that's something, uh, you know, we're talking about less than 1% of 1% people get to do in some way, shape or form. So tell us about that. Yeah. I feel incredibly lucky to get to work, um, with my dad every day. It's amazing because, you know, I grew up, um, my dad was in wireless and had sort of rode that way with both Verizon and then T-Mobile as a sales leader. And so I was surrounded, you know, from a very young age with just, you know, business people, salespeople, um, folks that are highly motivated. Those are still my mentors to this day because of his network and a lot of Button's success. Like I have to credit to his network because we were able to, you know, get in touch with, you know, the right uh, mentors, advisors, folks that have, you know, built these things before. And he was with T-Mobile most recently and had this, you know, astonishing career was with them through, you know, the, the chaotic rise, uh, as well as, you know, the merger with Sprint. Um, and he was coming to that point in his career where he was looking for what's next. And Button was just an idea. And he was, you know, what we call it his dad advising, you know, he was doing dad salting. Uh, he was, you know, just just being a resource for us. And it sort of turned into, well, hey, it's it's going pretty well. And, you know, it was just sort of this dynamic of, 
great two-way respect and um, interest in building something, you know, that was much bigger. And, you know, I think I caught him like gearing up for retirement. And I said, you still have too much energy, you know, to, to go, you know, sit on a beach somewhere. And, you know, he's just such an expert in sales and operations and marketing. And it's to work with that caliber of person. And it's not just him. You know, our senior leadership team is impressive. And I think that's what investors like a lot about Button. Um, we also have Steve Nielsen, who is the former CEO of one of the biggest incumbents. You know, he's now the president of our organization. Um, and so we just have these hitters on the team that have done it before. And so when the opportunity presented itself that we needed, you know, a COO, I floated the idea. He said, I, you know, I've kind of been thinking about if you were ever going to ask. <laughs> and, and it was this beautiful conversation. Um, and I just have so much, I, I respect him and I, I've always been obviously like every kid, I just adored my, my father and seeing his craft that I only heard about as a child at work every day is unbelievable. Um, and I think that everybody at Button can say just having him here has been one of the greatest level ups that we could have ever done because of the expectations and the way that he holds everybody accountable. So um, it's fun. It's it makes uh, when we go home, family dinners a lot more, uh, a lot well, more I'm, fun. I'm, I'm jealous. I know that, you know, on, on one layer, it's a part of the startup story to be able to inject the wisdom and the experience into the new upstart kind of fresh idea is a huge accelerant. But even at a personal level, like just to get to spend more time with your family in that context and see that other side of them, like I, it's not the same experience, but, you know, my mom made it relatively uh, well in industry and, you know, I'd kind of only get secondhand, like what she was dealing with and all those other things, but to actually see him in action is a, is a, mm -hmm. is a real gift. So that's really cool. I like, I, I saw that. I was like, man, that would be like a dream come true if that could happen one day. Yeah, it's beautiful. Right on. And we're really awesome. Lucky. Well, JT, uh, this has been fantastic. I want to make sure that everyone uh, can check out button and all the stuff that you guys are up to. Uh, and before we ask our standard last two questions, is there anything else you were hoping to share today that I didn't give you a chance to? I would just love to give a quick shout out to um, all the healthcare workers that have been impacted over the past few years because of the pandemic. It's something that we hear about, but seeing it up close and personal, it's unbelievable what they've had to go through and the human impact there. And can you imagine, you know, not only is a global pandemic happening, but then you have staffing shortages, right? And then you have supply shortages. And you have all of these things that literally change the way that you live forever because of it. And I think that we've sort of forgotten what that impact is. Um, and I really think that Button is a solution that's going to help give back some of that time um, that these nurses and, and doctors and other healthcare workers are going through. And uh, I don't want to underestimate the impact that the solution can have um, because of what's been going on. And so I always like to make sure that I, I do a plug for that because my heart is fully aligned to making Amen their life to that. Easier. Beautiful note to, to wrap up on JT. And I hope that you guys continue to, to uh, act on that mission. Uh, for folks that want to follow along, learn more, check out all the stuff you guys are up to. What digital coordinates can we provide for folks? Yes, please give me a follow on Twitter. Um, if you want to hear button updates, healthcare industry insights and very poorly delivered sarcasm. It's at JT Garwood. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the same handle. 
Yep. And, and the website at. is buttonusa.com. Is that right? Yeah. And then for Button, uh, we're very active across all social, um, BTTN, and then our website's www.bttn. Classic tech startup. Get rid of all the vowels, huh? <laughs> I believe it. Um, Awesome. We're going to link all that in the show notes for folks to learn more. Going deeper there.com slash podcast for every episode of the show or in the app. We're probably listening to this right now. Before we let you go, JT, I would like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Yeah, I love this question um, from the podcast that I've listened to um, from you prior. And honestly, I thought a lot about this and it spoke to something that I've been trying to do every single day um, and has worked wonders. And it goes back to just making the decision every day um, to choose positivity. And so my challenge would be for every one of your listeners to choose positivity today and choose positivity tomorrow and keep on waking up and and remember that that is a choice. And that when you can choose positivity, the different impacts that that can have on your life are frankly unbelievable. And it's become a part of my daily affirmation is I choose positivity every day. I freaking love that. And I have nothing to add because that is exactly what everyone should be doing. If you're not doing it, start start today, start tomorrow, start immediately. Um, JT, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We just went deep with JT Garwood. Hope you're not there. Has a fantastic day. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of my interview with JT. If you are interested in other businesses that are lowering the cost of healthcare, check out our past interview with Dr. Timothy Wong, who runs a micro clinic that does not accept insurance. You can see the doctor for just 35 bucks. Go check it out.